Hello, church family and friends. I'm so excited for today's time in God's Word. Uh, we are resuming our sermon series in the book of 2 Corinthians. We actually started preaching this way back in 2018, and we got through chapters 1 through 6, uh, which is the first major, major section of the book, which was Paul's defense uh, of his role as an apostle. The next few chapters, chapters 7 through 9, are Paul's appeal to the Corinthian church to follow through on their commitment to help believers in other regions who are experiencing a famine. This is where we're starting today, uh, studying 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 2 through 16. The title of this sermon is Godly Grief. Have you ever had, a tough, had to have a tough conversation with someone from home, work, or church? These conversations are tough, usually because the topic is something very serious, personal, or sensitive. I don't know about you, but I really dread those kinds of conversations because of the risk involved. Will this person I'm talking to respond well? Uh, will he misunderstand my intentions that I'm saying this out of love? It's always uncomfortable uh, to bring these kinds of things up. I've al I always feel nervous because I don't know how this person is going to respond and I dread the conflict that's bound to arise. I try to look calm and collected, but inside I'm usually really, really nervous. Uh, even though I've had a lot of tough conversations with people because I'm a pastor, it never gets easy. The Apostle Paul had a series of tough conversations with the church in Corinth during the A.D. 50s. He had to take the risk of being misunderstood and even damaging his relationship with them. But he wanted to make sure that Christ was honored and that these believers that he loved stayed on the path of truth. It was risky because he didn't know how the church there would respond. And today's passage of scripture is part of Paul's letter that he, when he expressed relief upon hearing that the Corinthians had responded well to his rebuke to them. Here's the one thing from 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 2-16. through 16. This is the main biblical truth and encouragement for us when we both initiate tough conversations and receive tough conversations. Be assured that godly grief leads to repentance that leads to shared joy. I'm going to just work through this passage in four simple points following the main thing. Uh, first, be assured. Second, godly grief. Third, repentance. And fourth, shared joy. Uh, there's going to be a, le a lesson with each of these four main points. And so, this, since this passage is pretty long, I'm going to read it as we go along uh, through these four points. So, uh, let's pray first and ask for the Lord's help to listen and receive God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us to experience this shared joy as a church family together. When we love one another, have enough, uh, enough to have tough conversations and to point each other to Christ. May you be pleased and honored when we repent and turn to Christ in our lives. Speak to us in this moment. Pour out your grace on us despite all the challenges of receiving this sermon via video. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, are you ready to go? First, 
Let's read verses 2 through 4. Be assured. This is God's word. Make room in your hearts for us. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have taken advantage of no one. I do not say this to condemn you, for I said before that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. I am acting with great boldness toward you. I have great pride in you. I am filled with comfort. In all our affliction, I am overflowing with joy. Amen. In verses 2 through 4, Paul wrote that he took a risk in correcting the Corinthian church, but was genuinely motivated out of love for them. Here's lesson number one. We take risks in correcting our family in Christ because we love them. To understand what Paul is talking about here, I have to explain the backstory behind this letter and these verses. Acts 18 describes how Paul, along with his close friends Priscilla and Aquila, helped to start a church in the Greek city of Corinth around, around AD 50. He stayed one and a half years there, preaching the gospel in the synagogues, both to Jews and Gentiles there. But from here, things spiraled downward uh, in the church in Corinth and in their relationship with Paul. While Paul was in Ephesus, he had to write, uh, write to them to address the issue of rampant sexual immorality within that church. It got worse, though. Because Paul received word from the household of Chloe, they were, they were a family from Corinth, uh, about more problems in the church there. Issues like divisions within the congregation, disorderly ga- uh, gatherings, lawsuits, questioning Paul's apostolic uh, authority. There was theological confusion about pagan practices, marriage and divorce, spiritual gifts and the bodily resurrection. In response, Paul wrote 1 Corinthians sometime around A.D. 54-55 and sent Timothy to visit Corinth. And Timothy reported back to Paul that uh, the mess in the church was even worse than before, and Paul at that point decided that he needed to visit Corinth in person. This time, when Paul visited again, his opponents were in full force, and actually Paul left Corinth early, without trying to defend himself. He called this his painful visit. And I think we can relate to Paul here. Sometimes there are people that we've invested so much of ourselves into, and it seems like they just never listen to us, or they don't appreciate what we're doing for them. It's tempting at those points to be, to be like, forget those people, let them burn. Paul probably had similar feelings, but he wrote to them instead, rebuking, rebuking them for rebelling from his teaching about Christ, and warning them about God's judgment. Paul said that he wrote this rebuke tearfully, and he sent Titus to personally deliver the message. Titus returned to Paul, and Paul wrote 2 Corinthians in response to describe how he felt when he received Titus' report of positive news in Corinth. So now in verses 2 through 4, Paul wanted to make sure that the Corinthian church knew that not only did, they, did he do the right thing in rebuking them, but that he did it because he sincerely loved them. And so here he assured them that they were in his, in his and his team's hearts. Thus he asked them to open their hearts to him and to his teaching. And now he was overflowing with joy because of how they had responded finally after all these years of drama. He was so proud of them and he was so comforted by them. 
Not only was Paul assuring them of his motives, it also seemed like he was assuring himself that this, was, that this good had finally come out of all the loving tears and pain that he'd experienced trying to keep uh, the church there living in a Christ-honoring way. This brings us back to our first lesson from verses 2 through 4, which is that we take risks in correcting our family in Christ because we love them. As an idealistic person, sometimes I wish that we'd all love Jesus. We'd all obey God's word. We'd all be close to God and we'd all get along perfectly all the time. But the reality is, is that church is messy. Amen? In fact, it's supposed to be messy. It's supposed to be difficult. It's supposed to be full of tensions. The truth is we need our brothers and sisters in Christ to love us enough to point out the blind spots in our character, to call out our sin, to expose the idols that we hold on to, and to challenge unbiblical ways of thinking. But it's hard, right? It's hard to do it uh, without putting yourself in an awkward situation and potentially, potentially embarrassing that other person. But let me give a real-life scenario to make a point at what's at stake. Let's say you have a close friend from church who shared about his recent poor uh, performance evaluation at work. And the couple times that he's brought it up with you, he's really talked badly about his coworkers. Not just sharing, not just complaining even, but actually slandering them. Now, not only that, but you know your friend very well, and you know that since work from home um, started, he has spent a lot of time playing video games during work hours and even lying to his boss, boss and colleagues that he was working when he wasn't, when he was playing video games. You know, it might be easier to just go with the flow when your friend goes on those rants or continues to procrastinate instead of work faithfully. But if you really care about this person, and if you really care about the honor of Christ, you would take the risk of telling him your concerns. It may be an awkward uh, conversation. He may even argue with you or get mad at you. But this would be the most loving thing that you could do for your friend. Of course, whenever we bring things up with people, we need to pick our words wisely, and we need to double-check that we're motivated out of love. But we also have to intervene. We take risks in correcting our family in Christ because we love them. In fact, this is what we promise to do with one another uh, as a church, uh, in our church covenant. We have the assurance that God wants to use us in our brother's or sister's life, and God's grace is powerful enough to bring about redemption in their lives, as we'll talk about further in the next points. So first, we can be assured. Now second, let's read verses 5 through 9, godly grief. This is God's word. For even when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were afflicted at every turn, fighting without and fear within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus, not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted by you, as he told us of your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced still more. For even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. For I see that that, that, that letter grieved you, though only for a while. As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you grieved 
you were grieved into repenting, for, what, for you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. Amen. In verses 5 through 9, Paul wrote that he was greatly comforted that this rebuke led to the Corinthian church to respond in godly grief. Here's lesson two. We trust that God uses our grief to point to our great need for Christ. Paul shared how difficult those days were. Not only was there all this drama they experienced with the Corinthian church, but other circumstances that he and his team faced as they brought the gospel of Jesus Christ to unreached people and places throughout the province of Macedonia, which is modern-day Eastern Europe. But despite all the fighting without and all the fear that was within, as Paul put it, he was elated at Titus' report of the Corinthian church's status. In fact, Paul said that it was God who comforted him and his team through Titus. That he, when Titus rejoined them and he shared how he was comforted by the way the Corinthian church had ended up responding after the series of discouraging reports, hurtful conflicts, painful visits, and tearful letters, Paul rejoiced at their positive response. You see, from Paul's perspective, it was personally really difficult for him to process all that had happened, and it was really difficult for him to to end up writing that tearful letter to them. And that's what he meant by when he said that he did regret it. At a human level, he didn't want to cause pain to his beloved uh, fellow Christians in Corinth. But at a different level... Paul shared that he actually didn't regret it at all because he loved them and he did not want them to veer off the straight path of following Jesus because of their confused theology or corrupted practices. He knew that the grief that he would inflict upon the Corinthian church was only for a while as, as it was the first step towards getting back on the straight path. Verse 9 is really the key. Let me read it again. As it is, I rejoice not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief so that you suffered no loss through us. The grief that Paul caused through his previous letter was not just feeling deep sorrow for the hurtful actions or thoughts towards Paul. It was godly grief. This feeling of deep sorrow was properly centered on God himself. The Corinthians were led to see how their sinfulness and rebellion offended God, who is infinitely righteous and just. Paul was able to explain his point and clarify the words of Christ regarding those situations at hand. And thankfully, the gospel was at work in the Corinthians, as Titus reported to Paul, as stated in verse 7, that the church came to agree with Paul and wanted to reunite and reconcile with him. This was the work of the Holy Spirit, no doubt, as God used that grief that Paul inflicted upon the Corinthian church to help them see their great need for Jesus Christ and to reignite in them the desire to live in obedience to the Lord's will. In other words, Their godly grief led them to repentance, which we'll dive in uh, a bit deeper into in the next main point. But before we do that, I want to reiterate the lesson that's from verses 5 through 9, which is we trust that God uses our grief to point us to our great need for Christ. 
First, I want to share some practical tips from the perspective of correcting fellow family in Christ out of love at the risk of causing grief in their lives. First, let's make sure to listen carefully and empathically, trying to understand and putting ourselves in their, that other person's shoes. And as Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verses 3 and 4, let's make sure as well to be prayerful and to humbly examine our own lives before we correct and rebuke others. The last tip would be to stay in line with the gospel. Focus on God and His holiness and love. The ways that we fall short of His standards and the grace that is given to us by God in Christ. Throughout this process, trust that God uses this grief that we inflict to point our beloved friends, beloved family to, our, to their great need for Christ. Second, I also want to share some practical tips from the perspective of when we experience grief in our lives due to family, fellow family in Christ correcting us. Let's make sure that we listen carefully, we listen humbly, trying to understand and being open-minded to their input. Also, let's be thankful. Let's be thankful that this brother or sister in Christ loved us enough to bring this up, even at the risk of our friendship, and, and, res and resist that urge that's within us to question their motives or to remain at initial feelings of hurt, defensiveness, or distrust. Don't stay there. In our grief, let's make sure to bring it up to the Lord in prayer. And let's carefully process our thoughts and feelings in light of the gospel. Focus on God and His holiness and love. Focus on the ways we see and understand our sinfulness. And focus on the grace that is given to us freely and overflowingly in Christ. This is a gift that our true friends in Christ can give us. Thank God for that. Amen? So first... We can be reassured. And second, we experience godly grief. Now third, let's read verses 10 through 13a, repentance. This is God's word. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. For see what, God, what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point, you have proved yourselves innocent in the matter. So although I wrote to you, it was not for the sake of the one who did the wrong, nor for the sake of the one who suffered the wrong, but in order that your earnestness for us might be revealed to you in the sight of God. Therefore, we are comforted. Amen. So in verses 10 through 13a, Paul wrote that he observed how their godly grief, grief produced an earnestness towards godliness in the Corinthian church. Here's lesson three. We understand that repentance from godly grief is an act of God's grace. Now we get to the crux of this text of scripture where Paul points out the difference between what he calls godly grief and worldly grief. Godly grief is what Paul was talking about in our previous point, this deep sorrow and pain that would point the person to their great need for Jesus. This kind of godly grief, in, in, in Paul's exact words, produces a, a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. And this is so important. 
God uses the deep sorrow and pain that a person feels in those times when the ugliness of our hearts and our sins are exposed and obvious to us. And it forces us to see our folly. It forces us to see our hopelessness apart from Jesus. It's commonly said that repentance is the act of changing directions, once moving towards sin, but at that moment of repentance, turning away from sin and moving towards Christ. In this way, repentance is an act of faith, isn't it? It is trusting that Christ is more valuable than any idol, that Christ forgives our sins, that Jesus accepts us with open arms, And he makes us right with God through his cross. This is why Paul says that godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. We experience how God restores the joy of our salvation, as David wrote in Psalm 51. In contrast, what Paul calls worldly grief here in verse 10 brings a person not to Christ, but to himself. He is also confronted by the sorrow and pain of his own sin, but it leads to self-focused regret instead of towards Christ. In worldly grief, the grieving process moves downward towards hopelessness and helplessness. In contrast, godly grief in the grieving process moves us upward towards Jesus Christ. Specifically for the Corinthian church, this godly grief led them to repentance and produced in them, according to verse 11, even greater earnestness to live in obedience to Christ, greater eagerness to walk in honesty and integrity, and greater indignation towards sin, healthy reverence for the Lord, and passion to please God. This is all the fruit that comes out of repentance, all the godly fruit that comes out of repentance. You know, when I think about the difference between godly grief and worldly grief, I think of the different outcomes of two disciples, Peter and Judas. Let's let's look at, at Judas first. For some time, Judas had been stealing from the collections uh, for Jesus' ministry. But he went one step further when he, had, when he decided to hand over Jesus to the Jewish ruling council for the price of 30 pieces of silver. Um, Judas, uh, Jesus was arrested, falsely accused, sentenced to death, and died on a Roman cross. Matthew 27 verses 1 through 10 records that Judas was overwhelmed with feelings of grief, worldly grief, and so much so that he actually tried to return the silver that he'd received. Judas could have repented and gone back to Jesus, but he didn't. He hung himself and sadly, sadly ended his own life. Now let's look at Peter. During the trial of Jesus, he denied that he ever even knew or was associated with Jesus. Not just once, but three times. Peter was heartbroken by his own cowardice and his own failure at that point to be loyal to Jesus. Even when Jesus had resurrected and appeared to the twelve, Peter was uncomfortable around Jesus uh, and was not very sure if he would be accepted back into the fold. But to his credit, Peter never stopped hanging out with Jesus. After an awkward conversation after his resurrection, Jesus graciously reinstated Peter. 
This was a huge milestone in Peter's journey of following Jesus as he experienced this giant dose of God's grace for him. If you think about it, Peter betrayed Jesus just as badly as Judas, but his godly grief led to repentance, salvation, and reconciliation with Jesus. Friends, may we understand that repentance from godly grief is an act of God's grace. So may we run to the cross of Jesus Christ in those times. For those of us here who are not Christians, may you respond to Jesus' invitation to receive this gift of salvation. Jesus died on the cross to pay for your sins and to bring you back to be reconciled with God. Take those steps of grieving for, over your sins to repentance, changing directions away from the life that you, want, you were once living and now moving towards Christ and the salvation that is only in Him. For you Christians out there, this process is for us too. The, times, the first time we feel like a sinner and experience the grace of God, it is amazing, isn't it? It's overwhelming to know the grace of God. But what about when we keep on sinning in our lives? You know, initially we feel bad. And as we keep doing it, we get more and more guilty. And we think that we should know and do better. But after being in this cycle enough times, many people just stop repenting and, and grow numb to, to that feeling of grief. So let me say this truth to you. As Christians, we will sin less. But that doesn't mean that we will stop sinning. We will also keep sinning in our earthly lives. Sanctification in the Christian is not only changed to become more Christ-like, it is also that we see a greater and greater need for Jesus as we mature and grow. Maturity, spiritual, true spiritual maturity is seeing our greater and greater need for Jesus Christ. This is so crucial. We have to keep understanding that repentance from godly grief is an act of God's grace that we need every day, every moment of our days. So we started with be assured, then godly grief, then repentance, and finally, let's read verses 13b through 16, shared joy. This is God's word. And besides our own comfort, we rejoiced still more at the joy of Titus because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. For whatever boasts I made to him about you, I was not put to shame. But just as everything we said to you was true, so also our boasting before Titus has proved true. And his affection for you is even greater as he remembers the obedience of you all, how you received him with fear and trembling. I rejoice because I have complete confidence in you. Amen. In verses 13b through 16, Paul wrote that he rejoiced how Titus was ministered to so profoundly by the Corinthian church. Here's the fourth and final lesson. We look forward to the joy of experiencing true change in the gospel. So, after the tearful letter that he sent through Titus to the Corinthian church, Titus returned with this report of the church's godly grief that led them to repentance. Paul wrote back to the Corinthian church here about how joyful Titus was after he returned from, from visiting them. He shared that Titus' spirit has been refreshed by you all. 
What happened here, or what happened there, that refreshed Titus' spirit so much? Well, imagine how difficult and awkward it was for Titus to go to the city of Corinth with this letter. This was going to be another tough conversation that he had to have. You know, if Titus is anything like me, he would have been very anxious probably for most of the journey, imagining reading Paul's letter aloud to the church gathered, anticipating the potential conflicts and outrage that would arise He would maybe be rehearsing what he had to say in defense of Paul's points. He was maybe wondering if he'd be be thrown out of the room and left with no place to stay in Corinth. He just had to prepare for the worst, especially given the history between Paul and the Corinthian church. Paul had had to, 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 to try to reassure or assure Titus that the Corinthians were God-fearing, honorable people. Verse 14 said that Paul boasted about them to Titus. He didn't badmouth them. He spoke graciously and with faith about them to Titus. But nonetheless, it's not a stretch to think that Titus was in an awkward, difficult position. But verse 15 says that Paul, or Titus remembers the obedience of you all, how you received him with fear and trembling. Their response to, Peter, to Paul's letter went super well. We don't know if it was an immediate change of heart or if it took some more discussing and wrestling through the issues, but we do have to, but we do have to remember that this was a, a five to seven year process of tough conversations that finally approached some resolution here. After maybe a lot of tears, hurt feelings, misunderstandings, arguments, and frustration. But at this point, they finally received Paul's apostolic influence in their church that reflected a healthy fear of the Lord that led to their obedience. Additionally, they had also personally received Titus in a way that reflected that healthy fear of the Lord. The relationship between Paul, uh, between the church and Paul's team was now restored. Now, this is not a promise that Things will always end with a a happily ever after when there's some kind of conflict in the church. But this is an assurance that the Holy Spirit can be at work in a church and between Christians um, to produce further obedience to God and restoration of relationships. Christians can take risks that may cause grief in fellow brothers or sisters in Christ. And the Spirit of God leads His people to godly grief, which leads to repentance, which leads to obedience and restoration and joy in the hearts of everyone involved. This is what happened with Paul as he wrote in verse 16, I rejoice because I have complete confidence in you. Let me share some examples. My wife and I have had conflicts related to, a lot of conflicts related to my side of the family. They have led to a lot of grieving between the two of us, especially in me, as I've had to deal with a lot of deep-rooted issues regarding my upbringing. But it has also led us to some significant discoveries about myself and about God's gra- and, and by God's grace, this godly grief has led to some healthy seasons of repenting. This has also led to some tough conversations with, with my side of the family over the years which I knew would be uncomfortable and I knew would take some time to work out. After several years of praying 
and having these difficult conversations with family, we are seeing God at work now. I'm so, I'm so happy to see how God is at work in, our fam- in, in my side of the family. I rejoice in the ways that the Lord is working in my family and in my marriage. Were these interactions uncomfortable over the years? Definitely yes. But in light of the joy of seeing the gospel as a reality in our family, was it worth it? Definitely yes. This helped me to see that I can look forward to the joy of experiencing true change in the gospel. Second example, as all of you know, being the church is messy. There was a case when some small group leaders did not understand a decision that the elders of the church had made. There were others, not leaders, who were wondering why that decision was made and rumors started going around. After some time, all the small group leaders initiated a face-to-face meeting with all the elders. And to be honest, I was anxious about how this meeting would turn out. Would the conversation take a downward spiral for for, for the worse into accusing and fighting? Would this divide the church irreparably? But by God's grace, the several hours together had a lot of sharing and listening, explaining and clarifying, apologizing and forgiving. And this wasn't going to be the end of the conflicts. We, we made sure that we, we all knew that. But we could view future conflicts with faith now that they would draw us closer together as this conflict had. We were joyful together that God worked this out among us. This led to us as elders and as leaders of the, of the church to see that we can look forward to the joy of experiencing true change in the gospel. And we could enjoy that together. So we started with be assured, then to godly grief, which led to repentance, and finally ended with shared joy. Now let's talk about some next steps that we can take with our life application. What steps of obedience and faith can we take from 2 Corinthians 7 verses 2 through 16 as we can be assured that godly grief leads to repentance that leads to shared joy? Well, first, engage in tough conversations with people because you love them and trust that God is at work. Before you initiate those tough conversations, do your own personal inventory of your heart. Is your motivation uh, out of love for this person and out of honor for God's name? What possible blind spots do you have in your own life regarding the issues that you want to bring up? How can you bring, up, bring this up in, in the wisest yet honest way possible? Follow the principles of Matthew 18 verses 15 through 20 when confronting sin in the church. That means talk to that person privately and directly. Don't gossip about him or her to others. If he or she doesn't listen to you, bring one or two others along with you as witnesses when you try again. And if the problem remains unresolved, bring it up to the elders of the church. Remember, we can trust that God is at work. The results may not be exactly what you expect, but God will be at work in that person and in others around that situation, including yourself. It may take a long time, but trust God through that process. Second, go through the process of listening, reflecting, grieving, and repenting when confronted by others. This one is for when you are on the receiving end of a tough conversation. 
no matter if it's a family member, brother or sister in Christ, work colleague or anyone else, be slow in speaking. Be slow in trying to defend yourself. Be thoughtful in listening, really listening to what they're saying. Regardless of what you think their motives might be, reflect on what they told you and think about what is true as well as how God is addressing certain areas of your life. It is okay to grieve. In fact, uh, when it comes to very personal or very deep things, that's normal. But make sure that it's not worldly grief, but godly grief that makes you go to Jesus in repentance. Take your time. Allow the Holy Spirit to guide you through this process of repentance and restoration of heart. This leads to great joy for everyone, for yourself, for others, and for the Lord Jesus himself. May we be assured that godly grief leads to repentance that leads to shared joy. We'll go back to our Zoom service, our live Zoom service, for a time to respond to God's word together now. God bless you.